If we receive human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because this is what God testified. He has testified about his son. The one who believes in God's son has the testimony within. The one who doesn't believe God has made God a liar, because that one has not believed the testimony that God gave about his son. And this is the testimony. God gave eternal life to us, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who doesn't have God's Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son, so that you can know that you have eternal life. The word of the Lord. So I remember feeling a little bit of pressure a few years back, about three, going on four years uh, ago when we started Oak Church, that we'd be uh, a witnessing church. After all, you're told, and I think it's the truth, that church planning is one, is one of the most hugely evangelistic ways the Spirit has been working uh, in the last couple decades. Somehow the gospel is being communicated afresh through new forms and new congregations in ways that uh, it wouldn't or couldn't happen in existing places. Like people are being called, we're, most of us here have been called to faith and participation in Christ's body and mission in ways that, that we might not have elsewhere. But this pressure that I was feeling is a little bit different. It was kind of more guilty in nature. It was kind of a pressure to master some sort of canned spiel and get people on board with Jesus. Like, uh, most of us, when we hear the word witness in a religious context, we think of that. Um, to, to be clear, I don't think anyone like explicitly heaped this expectation on me. It's simply my own lack of imagination for what witnessing to the gospel of Jesus is or could be. So today I want to talk about the nature of witness and hopefully move the needle a little bit in our own imaginations for how bearing this sort of testimony might be um, important and uh, interesting and fun and vital and, and how all of this is grounded in God's own testimony in Jesus. So first off, let me define a few terms because I think some of this gets lost in translation. The, the reading that we had today that Anne just read so well translates the same word that shows up elsewhere as witness, but it translates it over and over again as testimony, or testify is the verb for it. You probably saw that on, on the screen. It's like test, God's testimony, we testify, human testimony, God's testimony. If you don't believe God's testimony, you make God a liar. Testimony, testify, testimony, testify, right? And this is a legit way to translate that. I'm not making fun of that. But I think these words bear so much like Christianese weight and baggage for us that it's hard to get past them to figure out what that text is really saying and what we're supposed to be doing. So mostly when I, th this is like my confessional, right? Um, we'll, we'll have a chance for congregation confession later. Mostly when I think of witness, I think back to a Christian summer camps, right? There was that day when you got to 
like go off campus and witness. You didn't have to witness on campus because everyone was there for the Christian summer camp, right? But I would do this, um, uh, and I didn't go to a ton of these camps, but I was even a counselor at some of these. And so for me, witnessing, or the day of witnessing, was like you take, you truck some students off campus, and you take them to Walmart, and you pass out bottles of water to people. And you're supposed to have this small window between like the automatic door of the super center and their car door to share like the life and death, eternal significance of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? Like that's, that's the goal. And let me be clear, I'm pro-witnessing. I'm extremely pro-Jesus' death on the cross. I'm Walmart neutral. And I'm, I'm very pro-articulating the, the grand story of God's redemption of the world in a semi-intelligible way for ourselves in the watching world. But this is surely handing out bottles of water to buy time in an impoverished way of what constitutes witnessing. Right? And so... That other word, so let's just translate testimony. Testimony is also a little tainted because when I think about testimony, I generally think about someone standing in front of others to tell about how they got saved. Again, pro-testimony, I promise. But I remember how embarrassing and stressful it was for someone like me to tell a pretty non-dramatic story of a happy childhood in which I always knew that Jesus was real and loved me, but I had been called into something deeper, something more real and personal and life-consuming than the way that I've known before. And it wasn't anyone's fault. It was Jesus' calling. My story didn't have the twists and turns that many others do. And if your story has those twists and turns, praise God that that happened to you and your life has been changed. That there have been dramatic places and ways that God has intervened and interrupted people's lives. That just wasn't my experience. So I also praise the Lord for the subtlety and the nuance and the intensification and the clarity with, with which God works specifically in my life. But when testimony and witness, that word, shows up in the New Testament, it, it's always this Greek word marturio or marturion. Uh, it's a verb or a noun. And you might hear something in that, when I say that word, that it sounds like the word martyr. <laughs> this sermon's really going downhill, right? When, when, when we're about seven minutes in and we're talking about martyrdom, right? But this, like, jumps pretty deeply beyond, like, the bar of handing out waters in a Walmart parking lot or telling our story in the most dramatic way possible in a youth group, right? This means that witnessing or giving our testimony literally, literarily means showing and telling by suffering and dying. Martyrdom, martyrion, bearing witness to the gospel. It's only fitting that this section of 1 John 5 is tagged onto last week's passage. You can go, there's a few Bibles, you can look at this. The immediately preceding verses talk about the veracity in the authority that Jesus is true and trustworthy based on the water and blood that poured from him, his side at his death. The very bodily expressions of Jesus' life and death and the new life offered in his resurrection. We can trust Jesus because Jesus suffered and died for us. So 
then somehow we're to share in these sufferings if we're also to share in his glory. And thus even our telling of the story is going to have to be something sacrificial. It's going to have something costly to it. Every time we share the good news, it's a kind of skin-in-the-game endeavor for us. It's risky, and it's risky because God first put skin in the game in Jesus. That's where we get our credibility. Because this is where God has become credible. It's where God elicits our belief, becomes trustworthy through the water and blood of Jesus. So it's even, especially when we're not in the explicit mode of talking about the gospel, that matters. It's these small, hidden, daily moments and decisions where we have to die to ourselves that form us in our witness. It's ways we think about God in the kingdom when we don't know that we're thinking about God in the kingdom. <laughs> that, that form what we do and, and, and what we think, but also how we think and how we do things in the world. It's how the Spirit, you can remember the Spirit testifies with the, body, with the water and the blood, and they testify together and the Spirit is the truth. It's the Spirit of the living God that forms us, that seeds and waters and harvests fruits that take the longest time to grow in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Our witness flow out of these fruits. That's what these fruits are. The same way our farm table is going to bear fruit and distribute it to the neighborhood, the Spirit bears fruit in us and distributes it to those we come in contact with. So our, our witness flows out of this provision. Our witness flows out of this witness, this presence of God's Spirit that companions us and, and makes us responsive to the promptings as we walk through good, but like more so through bad. Like when, when bad things happen to you, how you respond is, is maybe more indicative of who you are than when good things happen. And that's how the Spirit goes fruit. That's the way we encounter um, people, even our enemies, that they might see small glimpses, like even through a, a mirror darkly, of God's attributes, God's personality, what God's love, capital L, God's joy, capital J, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control of life. I find it really fascinating. We, we probably have in this room some people that have grown up in different faith traditions or none at all. And I find it really fascinating to see the way the genealogies of this sort of lived witness play out in some of like the contributions of various streams of Christianity. So like Catholics have their basilicas, they have their like papal encyclicals like beauty and truth uh, that have been worked out through the centuries, passed on through authority. Protestants have like systematic theologies where, where they're deeply interrogating and being interrogated by the word of God and contributing like key theological insights for the church to navigate culture faithfully. Eastern Orthodox, uh, we don't 
meet as many of these folks, but they pass on these, uh, these amazing icons that witness the mystery and the overlap of how heaven impinges upon earth and the kingdom expands and we experience God's kingdom even now, ahead of time. While each of these groups have had their moments of being persecuted or embattled, that they've suffered in various conflicts, suffering has never been their primary story. Most of these churches have had some power or some prestige. So I think it's especially interesting to consider some traditions that have never had power or prestige, that have been born out of suffering. Consider folks like the Anabaptists, like these peace churches. Anabaptists are, are like, they protest Protestants, um, or like Mennonites, Amish, um, sorts of folks. These are dissenters who didn't think the Protestant Reformation went far enough, right? And got hurt for it. Their primary text is not a systematic theology. It's not like an encyclical or anything like that. Their primary like scrapbook, for lack of a better way to put it, is a book called The Martyr's Mirror. It's this like really cherished book for their tradition that is really deeply detailed and gruesome about how Anabaptists died, <laughs> or more accurately, got killed for their faith in Jesus. Consider then, if you grew up in that tradition, how you might imagine witness or giving testimony if there are people on your family tree who up until the fairly recent present have suffered and died for their witness to Jesus in God's peaceable kingdom, not fighting back and being killed for their faith. Or, and, and there's several traditions like this, but consider like a little closer to home, like another tradition born from exclusion and oppression and suffering, like the American Black Church. Consider their contribution, what they leave behind, um, especially among many things, is a, like a deeply coded, minor corded uh, set of, of verbally communicated spirituals that are full of hope amidst suffering. These are songs, this is sung theology that is sung far more often outside of church walls than in a church building. And I think it's really cool about a lot of these songs is a lot of these songs have if, if you like Google um, some of these spirituals, they, a lot of them have like really alternate verses that were probably written for like a march or something. Um, they're, they're amazingly engaged. Uh, they're, they're written towards freedom. Probably not altogether different than many of the psalms that we're so used to that we read in our quiet times. These are freedom psalms. And they all bear witness uh, this tradition through black bodies to Christ's coming kingdom of righteousness, justice, and peace. Think about witness or testimony in those terms. I'm reminded then of the missionary Bishop Leslie Newbegin, who was asked when he came back to the West, he, he was missionary to India, a church planner, and, and established like kind of a, a Christian beachhead in northern India, and he comes back to the post-Christian West that had changed quite a bit since he was gone, and they kind of asked him, for lack of a better way to put it, how to make the gospel great again in the West, and, he's, and this is his answer. He says, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power 
with which the last word of human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? I'm suggesting that the only answer, the only hermeneutic or interpretation of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. That must be embodied. It must be lived and suffered and told. That's the only way that the gospel should be credible. There's a, this is kind of the practical section here. Because I think for most of us, there was a time, maybe, that we even remember that believing the gospel and living it seemed like a pretty like inconspicuous thing to do. It was like, what made you a good person or a citizen? It seems like that time has kind of passed. We all have neighbors who are really awesome, who don't believe or have room in their lives for the gospel. Maybe it's a little hard to sit there and listen to a pastor who is a professional Christian to talk, talk to you about talking to people about Jesus, right? That's my job. I know it can feel weird. I know that people are skeptical. I know that many of the people you hang out with are crazy smart, and it's really intimidating to feel like you have to come to the table with all the loose ends tied up. I know that it can be incredibly damaging to relationships that you love and want to honor if people feel like they're target practice for your Christianity. So I love this, this, uh, this beautiful book by Leif Inger, Peace Like a River. There's this brief moment where the, the narrator muses, and he says, is there a single person on whom I can press belief? Is there a single person on whom I can press belief? He says, no, sir. All I can do is say, here's how it went. Here's what I saw. I've been there, and I'm going back. Make of it what you will. Like, that's kind of our task. I've been there, and I'm going back. Here's how it went, and here's what I saw. That's the mode of our witness. This, this I think, helps your friend know you a little better. If they know that experience about you, this Maybe the most important experience of your life or ongoing experience of your life. It gives the person you're talking to space and agency to respond. Make of it what, what you will. It, it isn't manipulative. It, it also makes sense of the long story of your life. Most of us don't talk about Jesus because we feel so disqualified by the person that we used to be or the person that we've become uh, because we haven't been paying attention to our life. But I think this is the way that people in the New Testament talk about Jesus. Whether it's Mary at the empty tomb on the first Easter, or Thomas as he took his hands out of Christ's side in the upper room, or Paul after he got knocked off his horse on the Damascus Road, they all say to some extent, here's how it went. Here's what I saw. I've been there, and I'm going back. I've been to Jesus' side, and I'm going back. And finally, if our passage today tells us anything, let's not forget that God is the primary witness for all of us. He's like the martyr of martyrs, holding a mirror up to us. This is what God testified. This is what the text says. He has testified about his son. And this is the testimony. God gave eternal life to us. And this life is in his son. 
The one who has the Son has life, the one who doesn't have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of God's Son so that you can know that you have eternal life. So this is the irony. That the very life that we want, the life we've been given, an imperishable life in Christ, which is more durable and abundant and full than we could ever experience or imagine on our own, comes through the sacrifice of God, which is the death of God's Son. God's witness is Christ's death. God gave eternal life to us, and this life is in His Son. Any witness to this eternal life must have the content and the character of this death, because you will always win people to what you win them with. You always win people to what you win them with. That means if you present with strength and certainty, you are sending them to a God of strength and certainty who wants all your ducks in the row and is going to be deeply disappointed when things aren't right. But if you present with vulnerability and weakness and charity, you just might be surprised at the ways that Jesus will show up in your conversation, in your life, in the life of the person that you're witnessing God to. Theologian Howard Thurman talks about this irony a little bit, this discrepancy that shows up uh, for those who follow um, uh, Jesus and, and what we try to become. He says, it can't be denied that too often the weight of the Christian movement has been on the side of the strong and the powerful and against the weak and the oppressed. And he says, this despite the gospel. Isn't that funny? Like, he says, we've been way too in to strong and powerful, way too against weak and oppressed, despite the very gospel that we claim and proclaim. I pray that we might leave here today not with some sort of like martyr complex, going out thinking that we can die and solve the sins of the world because that role has been claimed by Jesus. Jesus died once and for all so that we don't have to die or that so even in our daily dying to ourselves we can live and give life. But that we might leave here as witnesses with God as our witness. We love because God loves us and we testify because God first testified in God's Son. It's through Jesus' life and death that we have eternal life and victory over sin. And it's through the water and the blood that we join with God in the renewal of all things and learn how to describe well what we've tasted and seen. These inbreakings of mercy and healing. Like, there's a little bit of like, um, like, culinary school or whatever in, in, our, in our witness. Or like, if you ever go to a coffee cupping, it, the first time you go, it, it'll seem so absurd to you. Garrett, I actually drove Gary to one of these. He hates coffee, he hates hot liquids. <laughs> and he comes to a coffee cupping, because he loves me. And, and you go to this coffee cupping and you sit around with a bunch of people, you don't even really get to drink it, you're supposed to spit it out. But it, like you, you like smell and snort it in, you eat your nose in it. You swish it around your mouth and you spit it out, and you try to just make up crazy things that it might <laughs> taste like. <laughs> like. The first time I went at Counterculture, this is like a decade ago, 
they were sitting around saying that it smelled like grandma's attic. <laughs> you know? But all that to say, um, if you do hang around these folks, or if you do go to these companies more and more often, or if you're around a really good chef that knows what they're doing, you'll start to catch these subtleties. You start to be able to name them. You start to be able to look for them. You start to be able to pair them with other things that bring out flavors that you never knew existed, that, that raise the profile of certain things and, and mute other things. You start to, to understand this alchemy and you'll be able to talk about food. And the talking about the food will be almost as good as the actual experiencing of the food. And that's a little bit like what it's like to bear witness when we're doing this with our whole body, with all of our senses, even and especially in our suffering, we'll be able to talk more about it, not to persuade, but to, to, to more accurately and vividly describe this thing that we've experienced and seen. These inbreakings of mercy and healing that we never would have believed unless we had experienced them ourselves. And then we experience over and over until we get even better at recognizing them. That all of this is not in spite of, but right in the middle of hurt and suffering. In this in-between time when we're sustained and we share the good news. We sow seeds for the coming kingdom even when it feels feeble and futile. So I want to close with a look in the window of the book of Revelation because we've talked about martyrdom, so we'll just close with Revelation because that makes sense. In chapter 12, there's this cosmic battle, as there is in the book of Revelation, between the archangel Michael and the serpent. And I think this is this stylized, like kaleidoscopic retelling of the ways that the deception and unfaithfulness of Eden are being undone by God. It says in verse 10, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them day and night before our God has been thrown down. And they gained victory over him on account of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their witness. Love for their own lives didn't make them afraid to die. You guys pray with me. Lord, we pray for that victory by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And, and Lord, that's the end game. Lord, back it all the way up until right now so that we can get there. So that we can learn how to bear witness with our whole lives, with all of our moments with our days and our weeks, our months and our years, with our words, with our actions. Uh, Lord, form in us the sorts of loves that are so deep and true that, um, that losing our own lives um, doesn't make us afraid to bear witness, doesn't make us afraid to join in with Christ's durable, resurrected life. We might not have the love for our lives that makes us afraid to die. That might, that, that might be the content and character of our witness following a God 
who bears witness in this time and gives us eternal life. We thank you for that eternal life. We thank you for that witness. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.